Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott, physically distancing to the extreme once again. He is not here riding solo for the second week in a row. But for the second week in a row, we are going to revisit one of our favorite episodes. This week, we are going to go back to the summer of 2019 when we watched the legendary curling film Men with Brooms. So we wanted to revisit this. We had a lot of fun with this episode. I love this movie. As you will hear, I have a very personal connection to the film. So we wanted to go back and revisit it. If you have not watched it, I would encourage you to do it. Maybe it's a nice little New Year's Eve thing you can do. We can't go out and do anything. So maybe little men with brooms on New Year's Eve. So we go through the movie scene by scene, talk about some of the continuity issues that we noticed in the curling, some of the great jokes that are in there the way they present curling it's just a i think a really fun conversation really enjoyed doing it so let's get right to it our blow by blow recap of the great men with brooms that we are going to rewatch men with brooms the classic 2002 film written and starring paul gross of due south fame and later passchendaele fame and this is, as far as we know, the only feature film centered on curling. Although, as we will talk about, not so sure how centered on curling it is. But it is really a, a curling-based film. That's how it was advertised. And we're going to go through and uh, discuss the film. If you haven't seen the movie and don't want to know what happens in it, then thanks for tuning in. If you Go watch it and then come back. Go watch it and come back. Uh, if you've seen it and you haven't seen it in a long time and want to follow along, we're going to walk through the movie, talk about some of the questions we had about it, how it holds up now, 17 years later. Uh, so please do follow along with us. Uh, and it's a fun movie, uh, but that's what we're going to do. So that's our spoiler alert that we will spoil what happens. Yeah, Sean. So before we dig into the plot of the movie... Uh, are there any thoughts that you have about the cast of the movie? Just, uh, just some overarching thoughts. Great cast. Great cast? Really good cast, I think. Paul Gross, I think, is sneaky good. Okay. Just in general. And, uh, Leslie Nielsen, obviously, legend. Yes. Uh, in comedy. And I looked through the IMDb's of some of these other people. Uh, Molly... Molly Parker. Uh, Parker. She has a very extensive, uh, resume. Of credits, I, I would say she's best known for Deadwood. Yeah, that that would be uh, the thing. I, I I'm also rewatching Deadwood right now. Okay. I'm, I'm sort of uh, almost in halfway into season three, and I gotta say Molly Parker is not a good actress to me. I okay. think she I think she sucks. Uh, but uh, she stuck out to me because of that, and also the woman who plays Busick. Uh, Busick's wife? Yeah, she's been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, she's Carrie Matchett. I remember her from the USA drama Covert Affairs, ah. Sean. Covert Affairs. Yes, I, when she came on the screen uh, when I was rewatching this, I, I immediately just said, I know her from something. 
Mm-hmm. Sort of that thing where you say, that's that person from that thing. That's what I had when I saw her. Yeah. And uh, she is Canadian, in fact. So, yeah. so actually, you, you mentioned um, the Molly. Sorry, what's her last name? Molly Parker. Molly Parker. You mentioned her, Scott. Uh, we'll actually jump to this. Uh, you say she's not a good actor. The Genie Awards, Scott, are Canada's annual award ceremony to commemorate the film industry. How many Genie Awards do you think this film was nominated for? Uh, zero. The answer is two. Ah, in fact, one two for Genie her. Awards, one for her for Best Supporting Actress in a film, Scott. She did not win, uh, sadly. Um, she lost to an actress from the Best Picture of this year. Uh, this was not nominated for Best Picture. Do you have any idea, Scott? For 2002, uh, so this is the 2003 awards ceremony, what movie do you think won the Best Picture Genie Award? At the Genie Awards, Sean? Yes. I, I have uh, no idea. The, the answer, of course, is Ariat. Oh, Ariat. Ariat, or Ariat, the wonderful French-Canadian film that uh, I will read the description a family. It is about a family and film crew in Toronto working on a film based loosely on the 1915 defense of uh, Van during the Armenian Genocide. In addition to exploring the human impact of that specific historical event, the film examines the nature of truth and its representation through art. The genocide is disputed by the government of Turkey, an issue that is partially inspired and explored in the film, which has Christopher Plummer. Is featured in this movie. Right on, right on. That sounds really familiar. I might have seen it, you know, when I'm trying to impress girls or something in university. <laughs> so uh, the other genie that this was nominated for was for the best screenplay, and it lost to uh, Deepa Mehta, who wrote Bollywood slash Hollywood, a romantic comedy, hmm. in that year. So two nominations did not win. In terms of box office, cost seven point five million dollars, made. About four point seven million dollars. Yeah, it made. I think it only recouped one point five in the states. Yeah, it didn't do well. And then in Canada, about four point seven, like you say. So it might have broken even yeah. by now. By now. Yeah, with all the yeah, because none of that includes DVDs. And yeah. Anything. And there was a book written off the movie, sort of the reverse of what yeah. normally happens. Sure, they got a little bit of money for that, and then I don't know how the TV show. That comes around in 2010 is connected to all this either. Yeah, I'm not sure about that myself. So, that's sort of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Let's get into the film itself, uh, Men with Brooms. So, movie opens, Scott. Yeah. We have a bagpiper in the woods. Yeah. As we have a sweeping shot of beavers, including... A particularly gnarly-looking CGI beaver. The first note on my page, Sean, is CGI beavers? Yes. Yeah. And he sort of looks into the camera, breaks the fourth wall, and really just with an evil look on his face as the tree that he's been eating falls down. Yeah, you gotta... Like, it's pretty amazing to me how far visual effects have come since uh, uh, 2002. Even though, you know, we've had things like Jurassic Park, but this this is working with a budget that's nowhere near that of, no. uh, of such quality movies. So, uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, and the bag. this is not the first time we're going to see the bagpiper in the woods either. For Come, some comes along, he's everywhere. So, we pan down to the lake and we see Donald Foley, 
he is it looks like he's fishing but we will learn that he is there with his daughter amy and they are fishing curling stones out of the lake yes uh amy uh is the act or the role portrayed by molly parker uh, and she is using her scuba diving to go down and hook these stones onto a line and they bring them up yes now and, we don't the, the scuba diving comes up never again no the fact that she can scuba dive is just a convenient in fa- fact in fact i don't know anything about what she does for life <laughs> um so uh so the the last it, what we think is the last stone comes up amy gets into the boat and very conveniently uh donald foley drops dead in the boat yeah sean i wrote here uh amy is not upset enough by her dad dying in front of her on a boat no and she doesn't really do anything to try and stop she it. says oh no what's oh no. oh no right because we do learn that she is involved in some capacity in physical therapy later so presumably in that line of work or or as a hobby i don't know she would have cpr training at least like she she doesn't do anything also does donald foley when he gets on the boat does he know he's going to die because if not why are they getting the stones well they're getting the stones to bring the team back together sean but the team gets to back together because he's dead yeah but i think he knew that he was going to die eventually he was pretty old so he had to have the stones up just to be prepared yeah yeah okay so this isn't him like a seagull going out to sea <laughs> knowing he's gonna die you don't think no no and I, I don't think that's true either okay um so he's dead and uh, then we sort of have him giving his last will and testament which is a an audio seems like it's a video video but we don't but we see hear the, the video audio. do we yeah so we hear the audio of it and it it's going over the it's on top of scenes of the various people. Uh, so it's the four curlers who we'll get to know uh, coming back together. Also, he talks about how he loves his family. So we see his wife and his daughter, Amy, who was there when he died. We also meet Julie, his mm-hmm. other daughter, who we find out is an astronaut. And Julie and Amy are fighting in this scene. And I don't know why they're fighting. And they seem to be fighting about their father's death like Amy says something that you weren't here for him. And then Julie says, well, you killed him. And it's very confusing to me why they're fighting. Yeah. I don't know. I think uh, Amy's life has been hard. And so uh, Julie thinks that, you know, Amy's hard living has sort of, sort of hurt their father and taking him out onto a boat when he's old and could die. Seems like (laughs) a a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, And then, you know, Amy's just, her sister is much more successful and put together. Yes. Uh, and so probably there's some latent feelings of inferiority. I've been watching a lot of Frasier lately too. So uh, <laughs> uh, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so we learn in this too, that Amy has a son named Brandon who is here for one line and one line only. And I think it's worth uh, having that kid yeah. on the cast for the one line, yeah. we'll uh, which, we, which we'll get to. Uh, so we meet the team. The team consists of Neil, who is the lead, we learn. He is uh, he, Neil Busick. He runs the funeral home Yes. Uh, there. And we see, a, a, I think, a really funny scene where they're doing the cremation. And I have no idea if this is how cremation actually works. Me neither. Where it's just a giant fire with a conveyor belt. Uh, but the conveyor belt breaks. 
uh, Don sort of pops out of the coffin at one point, and then Neil gets his tie stuck in the coffin. Uh, somehow he survives this. A little slapstick um, humor a little, there. A little bit. And then uh, Eddie is next, and Eddie, we think, is the second on the team, but they say repeatedly that Eddie throws great guards, but Neil is the, the lead. lead. Yeah. So I wrote all caps, what? <laughs> like, I'm, like, okay, Paul Gross might not know a lot about curling, but surely to God, he would have said to some, like somebody in the process would have said, that makes no sense. You'd think, right? And I mean, he, he has good form. It's not bad. Paul Gross, you know, it's yeah. pretty good. So I think he'd know something, but yeah, you're right. And then, so we meet Eddie the second, his through line is that, uh, he has a low sperm count, and he is trying to uh, have a child with his wife. Yes. And they keep trying a lot, and there's a lot of uh, jokes to that effect. Yes. We see them have sex multiple times. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this is like a 14A uh, rated podcast today. Yeah, this isn't Yeah, this isn't for the, the little ones. Um, so, and... so, so, yeah, that's sort of Eddie's through line. Yep. But then they, they introduce us to James who's the next one, who throws the high hard one. Yes. So, again, we're assuming that he's the third. I think I see him holding the broom once, so yes, it makes at, sense. Yeah, at the end he is, yeah. So, uh, yeah, James or Lennox, uh, they call him Lennox a lot uh, in the movie, name. his last name. And uh, he is a, a commodities trader, Scott. Yeah, he uh, trades various substances uh, yeah. uh, and you know receives goods and services for that. Exactly. Uh, and then, of course, we meet Cutter, who is the skip. This is Paul Gross. He uh, is the natural-born skipper, according to Donald Foley. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's got good form. Yeah. So uh, at the end of the the audio of Don Foley's will and testament, he is requesting that these four guys who have not played together in ten years get together, and win the Golden Broom. Yes, Sean, the famous Golden Broom that uh, apparently is on TV and <laughs> attracts a, a great crowd. Yep. Uh, I'm sure we'll get to that later. Uh, but you're right. These guys, they they broke up playing together. And no one knows why yet. No one knows why. They, they think, oh, you had, you had the chance to win and you just all left. So we'll find out why, but this is this is Don's last wish was to get the team back together to win that golden broom. Yes, and I think there's a great scene here too where he he his remains, his cremated remains have been placed in a stone and the lawyer has the stone in front of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like he's in there right now and he says, "Yeah." And they say this can't be binding legal and the guy says well it's not binding but i mean morally and then you sort of slide the rock to them and uh then they pick it up and go outside and talk and we see them go their separate ways thinking who knows what's going to happen exactly because the next thing we see is the hotel and lennox is with his girlfriend in air quotes girlfriend and they are he is describing her how curling works with lipstick on her stomach. He's basically drawing this out. Yes, yes. This is a, a very effective learning tool that he's right. discovered. And uh, this lady, to her credit, is interested in learning about curling. Yeah, and she learns a lot. She does learn a lot. And she comes to think it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And Lennox has one of my favorite lines in the movie that I've repeated a number of times in my life, 
where he just says, uh, I need to urinate, <laughs> which I, I always, I just, I don't know why I think that is so funny. Goes to the bathroom and there is a large man in there uh, using the facilities and the girlfriend says, oh, I forgot he was there. So the question now is, <laughs> how long has this guy been in the bathroom that Lennox has been able to teach this woman about curling by drawing a full curling rink on her stomach that she didn't think to mention this guy was there and he didn't come out or make a sound. Yeah, and is still sitting on the toilet. Yeah. So a little bit concerned for him. Yeah. And so Lennox goes in and the guy is there to beat him up, basically. Lennox owes him some money. So the guy gets up and puts Lennox through the wall of the hotel and conveniently... On the other side of the wall is Cutter. Yeah. In his room. That's where Cutter's room is. And calling this a hotel, I think, would be uh, being generous. Right. Uh, motel, some sort of country inn, perhaps. Uh, not great. So you're right. Cutter's there. And in order to get this guy to stop beating up his friend, he hits him in the head with the 42 pound curling stone. Yes. Which, to my notes, says, how does that stone not kill that guy? <laughs> yeah, how is his skull not just collapsed? Yeah, he hits him in the head, and okay, now he's passed out. Right. So I so there's so much going on here, because the next thing we see is the four guys, this curling team, in Cutter's car, driving around, and they say to the guy's in the trunk. Now, later on, we see the four of them trying to carry this guy and struggling. So... so. How did he get into the trunk? Right. Did Cutter call Neil and Eddie and they come to the hotel to help put him into the trunk? Is that what happens? Or does Cutter, because we don't know where the other guys have parked, which we'll get to in a minute, which bugs me. Does Cutter go pick them all up, drive them back to the hotel, hope that the guy hasn't gotten up yet? And then they, all four of them, put him in the trunk. Yeah, it's one of these uh, great unanswered questions in life, Sean. And also, what is the girlfriend doing? Is yeah. she just hanging out now in this hotel room where there's a piece of the wall missing and she's just seen assault with a deadly weapon? And she's got lipstick all over her stomach. Like maybe she went to take a shower. Maybe. After the big guy had been in there for an hour, you want to <laughs> let that air out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you might. Ugh. So, like, the other thing that I'm curious about. So, these guys, it's said that they haven't seen each other in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, if I haven't seen you in 10 years, and we're there for a funeral, and then a couple hours after the funeral, you call me and you say, I have a giant 400-pound drug dealer that I've knocked unconscious with a curling stone. I need you to help me come. I need you to come and help me dispose of the body. Who is saying yes to this request? I don't understand. Why are Neil and Eddie getting involved in this at all? They're friends, man. Friends uh, don't question it. <laughs> no. Uh, you, you know, you could... Some people, they've got a connection where you haven't seen each other in years. Decades. I, oh, yeah, I and guess. And then you call them up. Maybe they were in a war together or something, and they, <laughs> they have this unbreakable bond. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, so then we uh, we pull we have this weird scene where the local police officer pulls them over because the guy has uh, been Woken revived yeah. and is shaking around in the back of the car. Really strange scene with the cop yeah, where uh, Paul Gross basically goes, takes the curling stone, which for some reason is on the top of the car, <laughs> and hits the guy, opens the trunk, hits him again. 
cop doesn't notice that the car goes from shaking violently to not shaking at all. Well, Sean, it was the the shocks. The shocks were yes, the uh, shocks were at a, yeah. Uh, we'll see the cop again uh, later on, and then they get to the docks. So fortunately, Long Bay is has a major uh, port, major port, uh, as well as a mine. Very convenient. Yeah, I I was I did write. Why is that ship there? And I couldn't figure out exactly where it was. I got to think we're talking somewhere on the Great Lakes here. Yeah. Uh, they did say, oh, have fun. See you in Port Huron. Or yes. I think that's where the, the ship was going. So I know some of the movie was filmed in Sudbury. Yeah. Uh, the to, wonderful seaside town. To give you that. Sudbury, uh, Ontario. Well, it's got like the mines, right? Yeah. So the mines are sort of taken care of in Sudbury. And yeah, just picture... A Sudbury, but on the lakes. <laughs> um, so they're trying to put him on this ship, and he falls down. They they can't. He wakes up. They drop him. Somehow he doesn't die because he falls for like seven seconds. <laughs> yeah, it was way longer than I thought. And he is on this crane, and they put him onto the ship. Yeah. And the guys like wave and say, as you say, like have fun in Port Huron, and then they get off the ship. Now, again, why can't this guy, once the crane lands on the ship, just say, hey, I'm going to get off the ship now? Well, that'll be too late. Like, like so the crane is still operating as they start to move away from the port? Uh, it's been known to happen. <laughs> Very strange. Very strange. Um, all right. Now, the next... So after Scott, of course, when you've successfully disposed of a body... The next logical place to go is the, the curling club. Oh, the curling club at 2 a.m., yeah. yeah. Best place to go. So this is the Brampton Curling Club. This is where this was shot. Yeah. The exterior of the building is the Brampton Curling Club. And uh, so we get to the curling club, and they're talking about what happened at their last game. Yes. And we learn from Lennox that Cutter didn't call a burnt stone. Yes. And that's why he threw the rocks into the lake and why he left and just quit curling because he couldn't take it, uh, the guilt of the it. The guilt of it, yeah. yeah. It's a bit of a like a Lady Macbeth here, right, where she's washing her hands to get the blood off of and, and they never do. He's throwing the stones into the water to yes. you know, assuage his guilt. Yeah, so, so much is going on here that I'm so confused by. Uh, first, yeah. they're having this conversation. So they walk into the curling club together, presumably, and they're having this conversation. The three guys are at one end. Cutter's at the other end. Well, that's where the skip goes. Like just instinctively as they're talking. I think so. So that I think is strange. And then Eddie and Neil don't seem to realize what happened. The burn stone. Yeah. That they don't know that this is what was going on because as they're talking, uh, Lennox goes to throw the rock and he lights it on fire. And this really cool thing. He, mm-hmm. he has a cigarette in his mouth and he pours some liquor on it. And as he lets go of the stone, he spits out the cigarette and it lights on fire. And I guess the symbolism wasn't enough because it really sounds like in post-production, they added the dialogue of... Between the two... Of Eddie, Eddie and, and... and Neil. Oh. He goes, what, is, what, is, what does he mean? I think he means that he burned a rock and didn't call it. And it doesn't sound like it's... Okay. For, like It really sounds dubbed in where they, where they do this. So, Scott, what do you think of this reveal of the burned rock well i think it it's like sort of a good through line that they use throughout the movie uh to see what's up but 
I think, Sean, I don't think if, if you throw a rock, it's not up to you to call that it's burned. No, it's whoever touches it. Exactly. And it seems to me like he he had thrown a rock that was burned and he saw it. But it's not up to him to call that. It's up to the other guys. Yeah, so really it's Neil or Eddie because <laughs> they're the sweepers yeah. who should have called it. And, you know, it's 42 pounds of polished granite. Yeah. How do you, you really would feel that if it touches your foot? You think. So that's really strange. Yeah. Now, okay, so we the guys are upset. Cut to Amy driving around. We learned she's an alcoholic. She's trying not to drink. And she comes to the curling club. Of course. And, okay, what really bugs me here, where do the other three guys go? Cutter is their ride. Yeah. They're now gone. Did they just get so angry about the revelation that they had to leave? Well, I think... And they, they get a cab or something. Uh, I think they were going to the bar, you know. They, they uh, wanted to leave Cutter alone with his thoughts. So uh, it can't be that big a town, right? It's a uh, small so. town, so you yeah. can probably walk to the bar. Maybe. Yeah, they um, only had the car because they had to take that big guy. The body, yeah. Um, so so Amy comes in there talking. We 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 know that Amy uh, and his sisters with Julie, who are kids of Donald Foley, and Cutter was engaged to Julie. That's right. And left her at the altar. Left at the altar. One yeah. of the uh, oldest tropes in movies. Yes. So Amy comes in, uh, and we learn that they were drinking buddies at one point. And this is where I think the highlight of the movie is. This is Paul Gross's speech yes. about a curling rock. Because uh, Amy says, you know, I, I look at this thing, uh, and I, like, my dad's in there, but it's just a, it's just a rock. And then Paul Gross says, and I've, I've oh, you've transcribed, I've transcribed the speech because it's brilliant. I was thinking we'd splice it in, but good. The speech is. It's not just a rock. It's 42 pounds of polished granite, beveled on the belly and a handle a human being can hold. And it may have no practical purpose in itself, but it is a repository of human possibility. And if it's handled just right, it will exact the kind of poetry. For 10 years, I've drilled oil in 93 countries, five different continents, and not once have I done anything to equal the grace of a well-thrown rock sliding down a sheet. Not once. Yes. So that's the speech. I think that's the highlight of the movie right there. Yeah, that that's uh, really good. Uh, 93 countries is, uh, is one of these things that I'm like, what? It's a lot wow. of countries. And five continents? You, you yeah. drilled oil in five continents? Really? Africa? Oil? Lots of oil in Nigeria? Apparently. There, I mean, there is oil in Nigeria. But... So that's probably where I went. But, like, how do you... In 10 years? Come on. He must be a supervisor. Yeah, right? Uh, anyway. Um, so, you do the speech. Then he, he gets in the hack and he throws a rock. I don't know where he gets curling shoes from, but okay. And he's not holding a broom he's not to holding balance. A broom, uh, which is very well done. Uh, from where he lets go of the rock to where it lands, he gets about a quarter inch of curl on this rock very straight ice here at the long bay curling club yeah. in the middle of the night so. yeah and you know those stones have been at the bottom of the lake for yeah they have for been, a while they have so been sharpened got to sharpen yeah, those yeah. up um so then we uh jump to the uh next scene where the guys have decided to get together yeah and they are going to play after Paul Gross's inspiring speech to no one but himself <laughs> yes they've decided to get back together and uh, things are looking up. 
Yeah, so they're going to play a local rank, four old guys. Uh, we learn uh, in the process of this that uh, Julie has a double doctorate from McGill and Harvard, and she is an astronaut because uh, she was watching the game with Amy mm-hmm. and Lennox's girlfriend, who we find out her real name is a- uh, Andrea. She comes, and the three of them are watching together. Uh, and, and I like that it's a double doctorate from Harvard and McGill. Nice little shot at the University of Toronto in there. Uh, very, very much enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they are explaining the game to Andrea as we see the the game playing out. Yeah, they're so they're sort of explaining the rules and and saying, oh, these old guys they usually have good touch, which is true. You know, yeah. when we play uh, the older guys, they've got their draw weight down most of the time, so. Uh, good on them for that. Yeah. Uh, they show uh, little shots of of the game, including commentary, some commentary by the old guys while yeah. they're playing, saying, uh, "Oh, what's going on? Oh, uh, <laughs> I see a lot of bad uh, curling etiquette going on. Tons, lots of bad etiquette. But you know what? They're playing a game. Is this a, is this a bond spiel, Sean? Is this like a? It seems like just an exhibition game that they set up like they said hey we want to play one game against yeah. you old guys at a time when the rest of the sheets are full people are playing people games. are there yeah so is it league night uh is there some team on a buy that they're filling in yeah uh, and knows? why are they playing 10 ends yeah 10 ends at a curling club uh that hasn't been done since well since the finals at uh royal <laughs> montreal curling club yeah so yeah. so that's strange I, I do like that we have the very deliberate explanation of what curling is uh, from the women there. The thing I noticed too, Scott, there are two different types of scoreboards that you see during this. Yes. Uh, the shots of the curling game when they're in the hack, it's a typical curling, curling club, club scoreboard. But when they do a close-up of the score, it's more the scoreboard that you're going to see at a Grand Slam or a, a Curling Canada event. Yeah. With the the tally like that, so I thought that was a little strange. Yeah, that was strange. I I noticed uh, from the overhead shots there were rings sort of in the ice, like yes. uh, as if the rocks had been sitting for a while underneath hot lights, for right. for example. Right. Uh, so that was weird. I said, "Who are these old guys?" That was one of the things I said. I think that woman's name is Joanne, not Andrea. Sean. Okay. Joanne. All right. We can. Sure. We can check that. Well, I'm looking at the okay. The the thing. All so, right. anyway, Apolog- apologies then. Apologies to uh, fictitious Andrea. Yes. Uh, yeah. So then, but then in the course of the game, Sean, something really strange happens. What's that, Scott? Well, he throws it really hard. Yep. And the rock breaks. Yes. Which I've se- I've never seen in person a rock break. I've seen on YouTube and Instagram like chips coming off of rocks. Sure. But never a solid break in half. No, because it's basically impossible. Right. And it, they're not breaking again. It's not a stone that was at the bottom of the lake. No, this is a club stone. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my biggest question with this stone breaking is that uh, Molly Parker's character, Amy as soon as it happens, expresses no surprise that that happened. (laughs) She's not saying, oh, I wonder what the rule is. She very quietly and stoically says, wherever the biggest part of the rock is, that's who gets the point. As if this happens like 
daily at this curling club? <laughs> she's like, oh, obviously, that's the biggest part of the rock. That's the rule. But she just knows. Yeah. One, who knows that? Like, <laughs> unless you've seen this movie, I think that's the only way that you would. Yeah. And two, like, who's not surprised? Who's not freaking out? It is very strange that she is not there. And not just her. There is no reaction from anybody upstairs to this. Yeah. Nobody is. Because at this point, there's a bit of a crowd watching this game for some reason. For some reason. And nobody reacts whatsoever to this. And, yes, yeah, just totally matter of fact. Biggest part of the stone. Foreshadowing. I mean, this is a, I mean, it's obvious foreshadowing. Yes. The first time you see this movie, it is obvious foreshadowing of what is coming later. It. I mean, it would... It, it would still be foreshadowing if it happened, and she was like, whoa, I've never seen that happen before. Let's go to the rule book. Right, because there's nothing more exciting on film than seeing somebody look in a giant reference book. Oh, uh, you know. Well, anyway, it makes more sense to me than her just knowing it automatically. The other the other note I have at this scene is, uh, hey, guys, the game's over. Get off the ice. they got to do the ice for the next guys. But the game's not over when he breaks the rock. No, no, but even after the game, they were lingering. They do linger, yeah. Because yeah. um, the, the last shot of the game, it's the old guy with the stick. He's got to do uh, to get the rock in the forefoot. And the, the piece of stone that broke was the other team's rock. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So... So on this rock, Scott, I, I took a note here. He throws it. It's an in-turn. It magically becomes an out-turn. <laughs> and then it jumps across to the other side of the center line conveniently when it reaches the hog line to land perfectly in the forefoot. Yeah, well, it's uh, magic of of editing. Yeah, but that one's... like Some of these are painful to me, but that one was really bad where it goes in-turn to out-turn on the throw not ideal no so they lose the guys do a little jump in the air which is kind of funny <laughs> um and uh and just like that cutter's team is lost yeah and sean not only have they lost this exhibition game but this exhibition game has put them so far down in the dumps that they've decided they're never curling again they lost to some old guys they're very defeated it's not great no but Julie comes down to the ice, uh, makes out with Cutter, and hands him a cassette tape, Scott. When was the last time that you listened to a cassette? I'd have to say, I think my old car in Edmonton maybe had a tape deck in it. Okay. So that was in 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think right now, like let's say somebody died and had a, a last will and testament yeah. that they did in 1997 and the lawyer came to you and said here's the last will and testament it's on a cassette how long do you think it would take you to be able to find a piece of technology <laughs> that would allow you to play this cassette tape well i might have to send that cassette tape sean into our sponsor today uh memory box <laughs> uh, no uh, i know there's services online that uh, that do that but you're right. It, it would be very difficult. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, I mean, as a historian, I would go to Library and Archives Canada where there is a tape deck hmm. that I have used. But, yeah, it's it'd be really strange for somebody. And, then, again, this is nobody's commenting on it, which isn't necessarily strange, but it is also 2002. Yeah, but, Sean, in 2002, like, I, uh, I did some work at the radio station at UBC and got my segment on tape okay and i had that converted into an mp3 okay 
So there was still tapes around. Okay. So she hands him a cassette. They go cruising in Neil's, um, in the uh, the the car the, for dead people. The hearse. The hearse. They go cruising in the hearse to listen to the cassette, and it is of course Donald Foley, who is very prophetic and says, "You've probably played some games. You've probably discovered that you can't quite do it, and." Uh, I think you know what you have to do. You need some paternal guidance. And there's a nice little conversation between the guys and the tape. Donald Foley, this is how prophetic he was, is he knew how long they would need to verbally respond to what he's saying. And uh, they say, you need some paternal help. Chris, I think you know what this means. And then he says, I'll see you all later. And I really enjoy this. And they say, well, they when won. is that going to be? He says, well, when you're dead, of course. Um <laughs> So uh, we're going along, and then this I, this is really strange. So Neil is driving. He slams on the brakes. The car spins around multiple times. Yeah, at least twice, maybe three times. And it stops, and he, there's a bunch of beavers on the road. We'll get to the beavers. But how fast is Neil Busick driving his hearse down a country road in Long Bay, Ontario, well, that this is the response. Like, how? Well, Sean, he has is, to be doing 140. This is, of course, a days uh, where anti-lock braking systems were not, you know, <laughs> in, installed in every car at that point. So, uh, when you do uh, slam on the brakes, uh, it's it's not uh, giving you any forgiveness. So the spinning, I can I can see that happening. Okay. Uh, but you're right. Yeah, he's he's. He's going fast. Yes. He's already got the car that, uh, so if you're dead, whatever. If you die in the car crash, eh, you're already in a hearse. I, I, I suppose. Uh, so we see that it's a bunch of beavers on the road. Someone says, I think uh, Eddie says, let's get the brooms. <laughs> Which, <laughs> they just had the brooms in the hearse for some reason. Uh, so they get out and they start to try to sweep away the beavers as Lennox is, is convincing Chris to go get or go talk to his dad. Yeah. The button on this scene, which is really weird, is uh, Lennox is sort of starting to sweep away the beaver, and the beaver just instantly cuts through the Yeah, the, I think the, there's the even the a, a sound effect there of is the beaver a sound chewing, yeah. but it sounds like a saw. It does. Now, I don't know. How fast do beavers eat wood? Like, how long would it take, do you think, a beaver to get through this broom. You know what? Be I, I, I have zero clue, Sean. Right. And it's, there's no there's no marks on it. It's like a, a nicely wound, clean break. Yeah. Yeah. There's it's not like he just chomped through it. No, no. It was definitely so, uh, Or she chomped through it. Nod around. Yeah. Well, I good, shouldn't gender the beaver. Good use of gendered non gendered yeah. language. Um, so that's the button on the scene. Uh, so next up we see Chris in his car. Uh, it's the next day. He is there to meet his father, Leslie Nielsen, who comes up on him with a shotgun. Yeah. Weird character, this Leslie Nielsen character. Very strange character. Uh, so he goes in. Uh, Chris is going to help him with his agricultural work. Yeah. Which involves getting some fresh manure from the cow to fertilize his magic mushrooms, which he confirms are simply for medicinal use. Scott, have you ever uh, enjoyed the act of uh, milking a cow's prostate to get fertilizer for your magic mushrooms? Well, I don't, I don't think you milk the prostate to get manure. And I think it was a female cow. As he said, she does a, something around right. it. But he also uses the word prostate. 
Yeah, it, yeah, it's all weird, man. <laughs> uh, I got to be honest. Uh, even the mushrooms looked weird. They looked kind of fake. <laughs> Wait, are you telling me that the producers didn't go and grow some real real mushrooms yeah, yeah. for this? Yeah, well, I don't know. It was just weird, like a uh, weird room, and he's got poop all over the wall and everywhere. Any, everything about it was strange to me. Yeah, very, very, very strange. Um, we learned that Leslie Nielsen uh, doesn't want to talk about his wife, who we find out is deceased, and mm-hmm. they will not talk about that. No. Chris says, fine, I just want you to coach me. And Leslie Nielsen says, fine, you got to do everything I say. Cue Scott to sports movie training montage. I did right here, obligatory training montage. <laughs> yeah. Complete with a uh, sex break in the middle. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so it starts with the tragically hip song, of course, and it transitions to something else. Now, okay, there's a lot going on here. A lot. So the sex break, one, Eddie doesn't take his pants off. No. Um, which is weird. Well, you don't need to. Apparently. <laughs> uh, to have sex. Um, but also, why does... <laughs> why is she there? Why, well, why, where are they training that they're doing like this yoga activity with stability balls and she's just in the other room. Maybe it's his house. I get it has to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. It has to be his house. Yeah. The other thing I wrote down is what time of year is this? Because uh, Leslie Nielsen has a sheet of ice in his barn where the cow is, which is open air to the outside, but throughout the rest of the movie Nobody has toques or heavy coats. They're outside at night multiple times, and everyone seems very comfortable. Yeah, you don't even see their breath. So how does this sheet of ice survive in this scenario? Well, Sean, the room that grows the mushrooms, because of all the manure, it's hot, right? It's Uh a hot room. So what he does is he uses a heat exchanger between that really hot room... (laughs) Uh, and the outside, the other room makes it really cold to keep the ice frozen. Okay. Also, that, that patented, you know, a brine system, uh, compressor pump, all that. <laughs> He's got the whole nine It was just that there. easy. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's lots of hydropower, presumably, <laughs> up there. So, uh, all good. Okay. Um, Honestly, I don't know. This yeah, is crazy. It's really weird. So, uh, so, we have our workout montage. Everything's looking great. Cut to the local diner. And the police officer, who we saw earlier, is making a bet on Cutter with the waitress at the diner. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we have to do that. The, I Well, I wrote here, the bet was that they wouldn't make it past the second end. <laughs> yeah. What? What? Yeah, and people on the street are betting against Cutter. And people are saying, oh yeah, he's definitely not going to play more than two ends. Yeah. It's really weird. Like, it's so easy to play more than two ends. Yeah, like, it's not hard were they all gonna hurt themselves i guess i guess people are saying that they're gonna give up back-to-back eight enders and quit and quit yeah that's crazy yeah it's insane yeah <laughs> uh so the cop bets twenty dollars on cutter and she says it sort of dramatically which is like 20 on on cutter like and, oh and, and the waitress is just sort of like yeah okay yeah also um, i sense a little uh little tension chemistry, little chemistry or tension uh, yeah. I see a little sexual a tension little between those two these, yeah uh, and then we learn cut to the doctor eddie has low motility in his sperm so it's unlikely that they will conceive a child 
uh, they discuss options for having a sperm donor and decide right. that nobody else on the team is worthwhile. And uh, apparently these are the only four men in Long Bay because that's it. That's it. <laughs> Those are the only people who are discussed. It was a pretty silly scene. Yeah. To be honest. I think he said, do you get personally involved? The doctor? Like as if the doctor's right. going to... The doctor's going to do it. Oh, boy. Yeah. Hey, uh, before we move on, did we skip over the scene of uh, uh, Molly Parker? I can't remember her character's name. Amy. Amy. Of her at the AA meeting? Uh, yes, I did skip over that. Okay. One question I had about it. Why is there a, an American Sign Language interpreter at this <laughs> AA meeting? I mean... I'm so confused. Like, if there was one person who needed sign language, I mean, how do they talk to that? Like, yeah, it's it's really weird. It's, I, I get that has to be it, right? That there's this is for one person. I think the only thing it was only for the joke. Oh, it's oh, totally for the of, joke. I would rather shit in my mouth. Yeah, that that's the only reason it was there. Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, there's no, yeah, I, I, I've, I've been to an AA meeting. Um, mm-hmm. I worked at, I mean, it, convention, I guess. Oh, the convention. Uh, yeah. That I worked at when I worked for the Blue Jays, the stadium was used for the AA convention. And uh, I have to say, even with 40,000 people in the building, I don't remember there being a sign language interpreter there. Yeah. And in this small town, I mean, there can't be more than one sign language interpreter, right? Like, right. Maybe it's someone who's learning to do sign language, who is embarrassed because they're learning, they're not sure they're going to get everything right, so they go somewhere where no one's allowed to talk about it if they make a mistake. Ah, that's pretty smart. So it's like practice. Okay. I, I'll buy it. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> then we learn that Neil's wife is having an affair with uh, somebody um, because... Of course she is, which is very confusing. She's terrible. She's a horrible person and a character that doesn't really add anything to the movie. But we have this scene where she's having an affair. She's unhappy with him for doing all the curling and everything else. Yeah, all that curling that he's taken up in the last uh, week. Yes. Boy, you're really working too hard at that curling that I haven't done for the last 10 years. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, we also learned, though, that her father gave him the funeral home. Yes. So I guess that's part of it there. Uh, then we get to this really strange scene, uh, Scott, where Amy is doing some sort of water therapy with Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, so maybe she's a physiotherapist? Yeah, like, what is she doing? He's on this crane thing, laying down, and basically she's dumping him into the water repeatedly? I think she's putting him in the water and then uh, making him do some exercises that... You wouldn't be able to do on dry land. But he's laying down. Yeah, well, his back hurts. So what is she going to do? Listen, I don't know. But this scene did give us my favorite line of the movie, where Leslie Nielsen says, What, did you train at Saddam Hussein's <laughs> yeah. School of Physiotherapy? <laughs> yeah, that is uh, that is really good. Uh, Cutter shows up for some reason. Uh, to talk to Amy about her sister. Amy gets mad. I'm not here. Like, don't come to me to talk about my sister. Get out. Uh, and then he says to Leslie Nielsen, your son's a creep. Leslie Nielsen says, yeah. Yeah. He is. He is. Uh, so that we have that scene. And we learn uh, then that Julie has been selected as the second alternate for a space mission. Yeah. From for the American Space Agency. 
so weird. Why, why America and space agency were making stuff up. Just say it's from Canada. Yeah. And then we'd all be like, we're suspending disbelief anyway. Cool. Uh, I did look to see if the uniforms were correct. Uh, and they were so good on them for the nice. current, the colonel's uniform did have the right, uh, epaulette. That's good. So I, good I thought good enough. Good yeah. Enough. Um, yeah, but it was sort of strange. Yeah, very weird. There's a stupid joke that, oh, the Americans are dumb because they don't know what curling is. Yeah. And uh, probably unnecessary to have this full scene. Then we get to Julie and Cutter at the diner. They are discussing what happened with their breakup. Of course, the, the what if, you know, uh, happens in every movie. Oh, what happened to us? We should get back together. But no, we shouldn't because we didn't really work. And so Julie says basically that I hate you, Cutter. Hard cut, they're making out in Cutter's car. Yeah. Now, okay, again, not to... I, it's, a, it's a movie, I get it. But they're at the diner talking. Hard cut, they're making out. She says, I hate you. But they're at Amy and Julie's family home. So she, who hates Cutter... Got a ride to and from the restaurant with him. Mm-hmm. Says during dinner, I hate you. Gets back into the car. Drives back to the house and then jumps him. It's Paul Gross, man. Like, it's so weird. Yeah, but he's so charming. He... Like, in the movie, it's sort of this immediate thing of like, hate right. and then we're making out. So, for the visual of that makes sense. But when you think about all the steps that are required... To get from the two places, it has to be at least 15 minutes later. Yeah, well, I, like I say, Paul Gross, he he probably, uh, you know, used his charm. And by the time they got back, she was uh, singing a different tune. <laughs> so we get to uh, Amy sees them out the window. We also see that uh, Cutter's car is running during this whole time. Scott, how long is it appropriate to idle your car while you're making out with your ex-fiance who hates you? Uh, only appropriate if it is winter and it's very cold outside. Which we've established that it is not. Which we've established it's not. So I would say not at all appropriate. Not at all. No. Okay. So Amy sees this. She gets drunk, goes to the hotel, tries to seduce Lennox, who doesn't do it. Uh, Paul Gross comes home and takes her home and in the process sees the beaver tattoo that uh, the four guys have on their chests, yes. uh, sort of their team tattoo. Amy has one as well that Paul Gross sees. Yeah, uh, on her hip, I think. Yes. Uh, and, and of course, he saw Amy through the broken down wall between the two motel rooms. Yes, which, yeah. why didn't they switch rooms? Well, why didn't they maybe call fix, the hotel? Fix it up? They put a sheet over it, I think. Yes. But, yeah, strange. Yeah, a bad job by the Long Bay Motel maintenance <laughs> uh, staff. So Paul Gross takes Amy back to the the house. And this is why Brandon is in the movie yes. where he says, uh, Paul Gross says, hey, mom's just really tired. And Brandon says, uh, I wrote it down here, it's nice that you're lying to me, but we both know she's shit-faced. Uh, which is great because Brandon is like five years old at this point. Yeah. Uh, solid line right there. And that's the reason Brandon is in the movie. Yeah, that's all he does. That's his only reason to be there. Uh, Next day, Julie's going to go to space, we learn. Mm -hmm. And this is followed by another training montage. Double 
Double training, training montage. montage. Don't see that very often. Yeah, so it's training for space, right? No, this is the guys training. Oh, the guys are training still? Yeah, we have another training montage. Wow, I must have missed uh, the second one. Yeah, it's easy to miss. So uh, <laughs> so then we're uh, they're training, and Scott, the golden broom is starting. Oh, we're ready for the golden yes. broom, Sean. But some bad news for their first match. Yes. They've been placed up against... Uh, Alexandra, I thought it was Alexandra Yount. No, he's from Butte, Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I thought it was spelt in a funny way. <laughs> uh, who we, we saw briefly during one of the montages signing autographs. This, yes. is, this is Curling's rock star, Sean. Yes, this is the equivalent uh, today of... Uh... No one, Sean. Yeah, no, no one, one acts yeah. like this. <laughs> Nobody does act like this. So everyone's there. We learned that this is the mecca of curling. We learned that even if there are bigger events, there is nothing more prestigious than the Golden Broom. Everybody wants it, which explains why uh, Cutter can just show up, yep. having not played in 10 years, and enter it. And enter. Uh, that's how prestigious events usually work. Well, you know, the local rink, the local town always right. gets an entry. It's like China in the World Cup. Yes, yeah. that's that's very true. And and uh, Yount's nickname, Sean is the juggernaut the juggernaut because of course uh it makes a lot of sense yeah and they're wearing these silver sort of space inspired suits it's insane it's, i think i is. think like uh in dodgeball you know in dodgeball when they, they have like crazy uniforms yeah it sort of reminds me of that yeah it reminds me of the uh cobras the purple cobras what do they call themselves anyway the ben stiller's dodgeball team yeah and so they come into to some pyro they have a full yeah. sort of wwe style entrance i did i did write uh it seems like it was some inspiration for the curling world cups introductions <laughs> at the grand final or at the finals where they had the players slide out yeah. through pyrotechnics and stuff so foreshadowing that a little bit yeah uh, i also like the pace setter jackets on the uh the officials Yes, the old pace setter. Very that old. Yeah, used to be uh, used to be the curling jacket. Mm-hmm. It was all pace setter j- jackets. Yeah, very nice there. Uh, Leslie Nielsen describes Alexander Yount as the Empire of Evil. Yep. And uh, we have the PA guy in the building who is also the TV guy. So the Golden Broom is being broadcast, but. They're also allowing his commentary to air throughout the building. Now, Scott, you and I have been to a lot of sporting events. Have you ever seen this happen before? Never. And it was so funny to me when, at one point, the team was talking about a shot, and he said, boy, I wish that guy'd shut up. (laughs) Yeah. 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 The only equivalent that I could think of is uh, there was one time during a Ontario Provincial, during the round robin, and all the games were off except for one, and it was on Rogers. And the team's talking about a shot. It's the third shot. And the skip calls it. And Mike Harris on commentary says, I don't think that's there. And then the third sort of stands up and says, are you sure that's there? <laughs> and the skip goes, Mike doesn't think it is. <laughs> like, that's the only equivalent I could possibly think of for this. Nice. I like that. Uh, so uh, so we get in and uh, it's Cutter against Yount. Yeah. Uh, some observations I had from this game. Yeah. Uh they do a weird coin flip where the official comes out and says heads or tails. Yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, the juggernaut says tails without even breaking his stare yep. at Paul Gross. Yep. And then goes to choose, we, we'll throw yellow. 
Yeah. Like, huh? Do you know how curling works? (laughs) Yeah. You're allegedly a world champion. Like, we're not going to take the hammer. Yeah. It's so strange. Yeah. And the other... Scott, also, have you ever seen a coin flip take place at center (laughs) ice? Never. Like, they're on opposite sides and they come to the middle of the sheet. That has never happened in the history of curling. Never. Never. And uh, Cutter says, uh, good curling... And the juggernaut goes, whatever. Right. <laughs> like, huh? And they go in opposite directions. Yeah. They're both skipping. They have to be at the same place at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> it's just crazy, right? Why was there not a curling consultant here? The, 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 their lead then also fell down on the first shot. And throws and it throw through. And throw it through. And he's, like, calling for them to sweep. Yeah. As he's doing Like, it's very strange. And, and like, people don't realize that the stone is going through until it goes through. It was almost like the Korean fans during the Olympics. Right. Where like it would hit the 12 foot and they'd and be like, like yeah, yeah. And then it would hit the button. And be like, yeah. And then it would keep going. And, oh. <laughs> oh. That's kind of what it was like. Uh, a little, just a little more exaggerated than that. Yeah. Do you have anything else here? At 56, 24, Scott. It's you. It's the first appearance of me. Yeah, that's what I wrote down here, uh, yeah. too. So uh, me and my mom were extras in the movie. Uh, so our first appearance is at the 5624 mark behind the cheerleaders. Yeah, right behind the cheerleaders. Yeah. Uh, how, how long was shooting that day? I think we were on the set for... It felt like a long time because it was so boring. Yeah. Um, probably like four hours, maybe. Wow. Four or five hours. And... Uh, it was, it was warm. It was in May mm-hmm. that they were filming this. So it was hot outside, but we obviously had to wear heavy coats to make it look cold. Uh, I mean, the arena was coldish. Yeah. And uh, we got placed just by happenstance right behind the cheerleaders. Cool. So that gave us all this screen time. Yeah. In the movie. And mom signed up through the Milton Curling Club. Mm-hmm. And she signed me up, too, because she knew that Leslie Nielsen was in the movie. Yes. So, because I love the Naked Gun movies and I love Airplane. So she signed me up and I took my VHS copy of Airplane with me to the to the uh, filming. And at some point, mom grabbed a stagehand or somebody and asked if I would be able to meet Leslie Nielsen. And the guy said, well, let me see what I can do. Mm. Comes back a few minutes later and says, come with me. So I walk on the end boards of the rink onto the set where Leslie Nielsen is sitting down. And he signed my copy of Airplane. It says, luck and last, Leslie Nielsen. Right on. I got to shake his hand real quick. And and then it was obvious that it was time for me to go. (laughs) Um, But it was this really cool. It was really cool. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. And you were only there for the scenes from this day, that's yeah, right. Yeah, so the we saw Jeff Stoughton do the spinorama, which the curling mm. fans, because all these people signed up from curling clubs, yep. the curling fans loved seeing that. Uh, and we were there, yeah, when all the sheets were in play. Okay. So I do remember they would say, like, background, go, mm-hmm. uh, do this. And they told us, like, don't clap. Right. Try, like, or fake clap. Or yeah. just, like, be interested in what was going on around you. And, like, people... Again, it's curling fans. So, like, on the second shot, I remember somebody played a hit. And then people were like, hey, yeah, and, like, actually clapping. <laughs> uh, and then the guy, they were just like, cut. Yeah, because you don't want the sound <laughs> Right, you can put in crowd. that later. You put that in, in yeah. background. So, yeah, so that's our first appearance there. Uh, we have a Tragically Hip cameo in addition to the Jeff Stoughton cameo here. 
during yeah. this first game. Yeah, the tragically hip are uh, representing Kingston yes. at this uh, bond yeah. spiel. And I love that there's a little chant too, where we hear it's hey, it's a tragically hip, and then we hear hip, 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 <laughs> like, which is great. Uh, then you get my second appearance on screen yep. at 57:21 from a different angle. Different angle, yeah. Where you can really see my hat, which Scott we got in Chicago when we were there uh, as kids in 1997. Seven. Uh, or eight that I got that hat still the hat I wear today in the winter my nice toque yep uh, um, and then we get to the end of the game uh, Yount uses a, a stabilizer for some reason yeah I, I wrote that too uh, the best curler in the world is using a stabilizer get the get out of my face yeah well Come Reed on. Carruthers is now crying so that's really strange now the, the last rock of the game it's Cutter's rock. Or it's Cutter's last rock of the game. Yeah. Second last rock of the game. Cutter throws an intern and the stone leaves his hand right of the center line. Yeah, I said, boy, a little inside there. Yeah, like <laughs> like five feet inside, and somehow it jumps all the way over to the other side of the sheet. Uh, now the stone is burned, which I guess is how it gets to the other side of the sheet, and he makes the shot. Everything looks good. Yount has to mm-hmm. make uh, a relatively difficult shot to win the game. And then something else that has never happened in the history of curling. <laughs> Leslie Nielsen yells, timeout, Time walks across another sheet of ice where he goes and talks to his son who is standing in between the hog lines. Yeah. Has this ever happened? No, no. And he like ran out. He ran like across another sheet. Yeah. To, right. Like it's crazy. Timeout. Yeah, I wrote uh, here in big letters, timeout, exclamation point, question mark. Yeah. So I was on set when they did that scene. Okay. Because I remember hearing timeout like four times and be like, what? And you're like, huh? What? I don't think that's how it works. Yeah. So that's really strange because uh, Leslie Nielsen saw the burned rock, but uh, Eddie, whose foot it hit, didn't Is... notice apparently. Yeah. So the official comes out. Again, why does the official come out? Like, like maybe to tell them, oh, your timeout is over. Maybe, yeah, I guess. He says, what's the problem, guys? Yeah, and then Eddie says, that was clean, no touch. Now, if you're an official and unprompted somebody says, that was clean, no touch, you're going to turn to Yount and say, they, they burned, burned that it. stone, what do you want to do? Yeah, yeah. Like, but, Sean, we all know it's not up to the official to call it, right? It's, uh, it's up to the it's team. It's up to the team. True. Um and then, uh, and then I wrote here too. If only this game were on TV and we could look at the replay of it. Oh wait, it it is for some reason on TV. Also, I wrote Sean. How do you get into this tournament? Right, we have a world champion, the tragically hip, and Cutter, <laughs> and some guy that hasn't played for ten years. Right, and then then it's like, oh, and here's Sarnia. You're like what? Yeah. So so it's all these local ranks, and then the world champion. And and the world champion from Butte, Montana. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I said Minnesota before. I apologize. Oh yeah. Don't no. at me. I, I've um, been to. We drove through Butte, Montana. We did. I think we stopped there for the night. And uh, what? Like no, nobody famous is from Butte, Montana. No, I think they picked it for the joke later where he says they're from Butt. Yes, yeah. I I 100% agree. Yeah. So uh, then it is Yount's last shot. He says, "All right, we're just gonna beat them." My mom and I appear. During his shot, you yep. can see us then as well. And uh, he makes the shot 
to win the game. The town is disappointed. Everybody leaves except for the team, Lennox's girlfriend and Leslie Nielsen, who stand staring at the rocks for apparently an hour, not moving them. One, why does nobody kick the rocks? (laughs) Two, this is supposed to be an important event. Where are the ice makers (laughs) in this? Uh, like, how long is the team allowed just to stand there and look at the stones? Apparently as long as you want. Uh, so it's really weird. Neil's wife is there and says something really cryptic. And the kids are like, she's talking about divorce, dad, which is a great line from the kid. Uh, and so Neil says, I'm out. Uh, I got to go back to I, my wife. I can't, I can't do it anymore. Now, we know very little about the golden broom. But how long do we think this event is that losing the first game (laughs) prompts this much melodrama, this much sadness from the team, Neil's quitting? Yeah, I I wrote here, quitting after one loss? Is this single knockout tournament? Uh, They seem devastated as if there's zero chance that they'll ever win a game. Yeah. Uh, Their lead quits quits the team. He's done. He says that's it. And and so oh that's all we're we're done now it yeah. it seems insane to me yeah uh, it's madness right is this this has got to be like at least a week long I would think so and I mean based on the events to come they have a chance to get into the final still <laughs> right they lost to the best team there <laughs> yeah and then like, all right we're done they're like oh for real we'll never yeah. we'll never win like it's so like I, so I don't understand why it's so dramatic after this. Uh, there's a great song choice, though, uh, here, where one of the lyrics is something about not having skates, which yeah. I really like as they all go soul-searching into it. Uh, then we get to the next day. We learn that Julie is going into space. The other two alternates have been unable to fulfill their commitment. So Julie's going to patch things up with Amy and says, Cutter's all yours, basically. Yeah, and... My note on this scene is, why would the people from the American Space Agency somehow go to this small town, to the the woman's house, to tell her that she's going to space? You never heard of a telephone? You're sending people into space. Uh, I guess this is an in-person conversation. It's definitely not. Not (laughs) not in that town. Maybe if, oh, she lives near LAX. Okay, it's one flight, no connections. (laughs) It's good. Uh, this is this just blew my mind. That they it were is there. crazy. I love that this conversation too happens while the plumbers are there. Yeah, like, yeah, and like her mom is like, "Oh, you're going to space. I'm so happy." Yeah, which is weird because her profession is presented as astronaut. astronaut. <laughs> so, yeah. and I didn't think you were an astronaut until you went into space, but I guess I'm wrong. Right. So very, very, very strange. Um, but everything's cool now between Julie and Amy. All's well and good. Amy goes and picks up Cutter. And takes him to the cemetery where Leslie Nielsen is there at his wife's uh, grave. Grave, yeah. And we have a very strange scene here where Cutter and his father uh, talk about how his father was never there because he was off winning the Briar, <laughs> uh, as if the Briar is a, a 14-week event. And, and all Mom wanted to do was have a TV, have a TV to watch, so she could watch you. Yes, which is kind of sweet and kind of sad at the same time. I guess she could have gone to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, also, you could take her to the briar. <laughs> it's a week. You could take the kid. Yeah. Like, it's not that big. It's not like today where the guys are on the road really a lot. 
Yep. I mean, this was guys would hack a dart and get in the hack. Like, it's really not that complicated. The The note that I wrote here, too, is where is the light coming from in the cemetery? Mm. Because as Cutter walks to the headstone, it's dark. And then he gets to the headstone and there's so much light. Well, Sean, you gotta you gotta be able to see their faces. Yeah, the light like, in the movie. It's like the the brightest moon in the history <laughs> of the world. Um, so Cutter and his dad make up. Everything's good there. Uh, Cutter goes back to the truck. We have a long stare in her face. Where if I was Amy, I'd think that he was about to axe murder me. <laughs> uh, the way he's looking at me. And uh, then his father says, "Tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. We're getting back at it." That's right. That's right, Sean. They're back at it. Yes. And uh, before Amy picked him up, uh, he was at the bar, and he said, "How much is that beer?" Oh, yeah, this is a great scene. Uh, the guy says a dollar fifty, and then he says, "How much is the glass?" And he says, "Buck and a half," because why would you use the same the same thing to describe the same price? Obviously, no. TV hundred and fifty dollars. So a lot of one fifty yeah. here. Uh, and he chucks the beer at the TV yeah. and breaks it, and then gives him money for it. Yeah. Uh, it's great. It, it's great, but it's also like 150 for beer? Man, this yeah. is 2002 or 1975. <laughs> yeah, we got to get to the Long Bay Bar. Yeah, holy uh, cow. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's brilliant. And the bartender isn't upset either. Yeah. That his TV is broken. Yeah. He's just like, oh, nice shot. <laughs> like, oh, cool. Like, oh, yeah. don't worry. I'll get around to cleaning everything up. Yeah. And there's this great line too. Somebody from across the bar yells, you should have done that today or something. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. You should have made that <laughs> yeah. shot. Um, so now it's the next morning. They're using the curling stones as like you would use rocks in a sauna. Yeah. And putting hot water on it. Oh, as yeah. They, they go in the sweat lodge. Yeah. As they prepare for the next day. Leslie Nielsen gives this big psych-up speech. Again, they've lost one, one game, game in this event. Uh, but they come back to the arena. They've brought their own rocks. Now, Scott, if you brought your own rocks to the most prestigious curling event in the world, like if you showed up at the Briar or a World Championship and you were just like, hey, <laughs> we got ours. We're going to use these ones. What are the chances you would be allowed to play with them? Uh, less than 0%. <laughs> they, would, they would ask you to pay the money to send you back home. Yeah, it's really weird. So they show up with these old rocks from the bottom of the lake and corn brooms. Now they got corn brooms, Sean, which they love to slap on the ice. Yes. Sort of like beavers. Yes. So is that why that's their team nickname? or Must be, yeah. Yeah. Um, But hey, let the directional sweeping begin uh, (laughs) with these bad boys scratching up the ice. Uh, Leslie Nielsen is now playing for Neil. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is throwing a shot. And he is upset with what's happening. And at one point he says, kick it. Now, <laughs> less, less than 24 hours earlier, he was giving his son crap for burning a stone. And, and now he yells, kick it. This seems like a real departure for the character. He's now very much in favor of burning stones. Yeah. yeah. Like he's all in on it. Oh, dear. Uh, so very strange. Uh, my mom and I make one more appearance on the screen at 11049. It's hard to see. <laughs> uh, then we get the Stoughton Spinorama. Yeah, Stoughton Spinorama. And then we're at the end of this game. And the broadcaster says that we're down to the last few stones. But Leslie Nielsen is throwing. And he's there for the lead. So we're not really at the last few stones of the game yet. No, I did he didn't he did he throw the first rock of that uh, of, the of the game? Yeah. Okay. So it's it's very strange here. 
how this is going. But Leslie Nielsen gets hurt as he throws. Uh, again, um, it's it's really weird here. Uh, so they push him back to the hack, and he's on the end boards, and he's lying there as Amy comes over and basically puts all of her weight on his knees. Yeah. As they discuss what shot Cutter can play to win the game. Right. And it she's just sort of there. Right. And it, pushing on his knees for a long time. Now, the physiotherapist does this to me to like help stretch out some of my muscles. But he doesn't do it for 15 minutes right. in a row. She's just sort of planking on his knees, yeah. basically, is what's going on. Uh, so Cutter throws... Uh, again, the the rock as he lets it go is nowhere close to where it's going to end up. No, uh, I think they used the like one shot of him going and throwing, and then it was just the same <laughs> one over and over every again. Time. Um, so they win the game. There's a this really weird from the crowd. The crowd is going crazy, and then the broadcaster goes, "But uh, his father's hurt," and then the crowd just goes quiet. <laughs> like they knew he was hurt. They were watching the game. Yeah, but they just forgot. He uh-huh. made such a great shot. So it's it's really strange. Like it goes from uncontrollable cheering to a great concern in three seconds. I also noted, Sean, that on that last shot, it seemed like he had two sweepers. Right. But then when the shot comes to finish, uh, one of the guys is in the house. Yeah, as Lennox if, like, is holding the broom. And he's like, so I'm like, who? Who's sweeping? Who's the extra sweeper? Yeah, it's it's really strange. Also, how long is day two? Like we have this montage of them making yeah. shots. So day one was only one game. Yeah. And the final is the only game on the last day. We only see this other day. So if this is a weekend bond spiel, like how many games are they playing on day two? Well, I think day the day two, the curling montage was the rest of the week. Of playing okay. games is what what I'm gonna say. Okay. We saw some uh, one other noted curling cameo there. Uh, there there was quite a few. Yes. Uh, Paul Savage was the announcer, uh, the second announcer in the booth. Yeah. Who was obviously not as invested as the other guy, <laughs> who was drinking his Tim Hortons coffee, going and, crazy, and having fun. Uh, we also saw Jerry Shemko, Shemko, right? From Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan uh, fan. Yeah. He so he was playing against uh, the boys and shook their hand at the end of the game. So uh, I'm sure there were others that we missed, but. Uh, Tried to find a list of them all on the internet. Didn't find it. Couldn't find it. No. But those are the ones I noticed. Yeah. Oh, and Shorty Jenkins. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So from here, uh, we see Neil. He is sad. Uh, he he's looking at a dead body, and the kids come in and say, "What are you doing?" He says, "Looking in a mirror." And then that's the end of that scene. So yeah. uh, now that we're almost 20 years later, uh, I'm sure that kid is in therapy discussing this moment, <laughs> uh, seeing his dad like that. Julie. Uh, comes into the locker room to say, hey, I'm going to space and say, everything's cool. Go have sex with my sister. No problems. What has changed in this? Like, Cutter wins a couple curling games. Julie gets to go to space and all is forgiven? Yeah, pretty much. That's how they're all works? Ach- they're achieving their goals. Okay. Uh, uh, Paul Gross makes a weird O-ring joke uh, here. Yeah. Uh, which I think is straight, like... Maybe the O-ring won't will fail, <laughs> and then you'll and be you'll at the be, bottom of the Atlantic. You'll be blown up. Like, very strange here. Uh, and then the guys are getting ready for the game. They're back at the mine. 
weird thing about Einstein and they're getting psyched. Yeah. And uh, then O Canada starts playing. Yeah. And as molten lava, it seems like dumps over the mine. Yeah. Some sort of uh, red hot uh, rock and stuff. So. Yeah. And then, so yeah. And then the bagpiper is in the woods again. He starts playing O Canada. We see a montage of everybody getting ready for the game. This yeah. is where Shorty Jenkins is pebbling the ice. Great cameo. There. Pebbling the ice in the dark. Yeah. yeah that's the way he likes to do it. Now, the thing that's weirdest about this, though, the O Canada that they're playing, Scott, is like this rock version of it. Yes. But it's supposed to be the bagpiper playing it. Yeah, man. Bagpipes and rock music go together. Like, But there's no bagpipe in the song that you hear. It's a, it's a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> so it's... Uh, yeah. Uh, and then uh, at this point, I guess because it's the final... Uh, the juggernaut is cool with being bagpiped in. No more pyro. Yeah, no more pyro. To get serious. Uh, so the final is Cutter against the juggernaut, and they're playing with three because yeah. Leslie Nielsen can't play. Uh, despite the fact that they were working on his hip and his back, he has a neck brace on <laughs> just to visually tell you that he is unable to play. He's even, sick, yeah. Even though we have no indication that there was anything wrong with his neck uh, whatsoever. Well, it's all connected. Um, so the game starts, the first rock of the game, another magic one that goes from an intern to an outturn, and those corn brooms, man, they are really doing some damage on the ice. <laughs> they sure are, they sure are. This is where we find out, maybe, maybe they said it earlier, but I found out that the Juggernaut was from Butte. Yes. Montana. Yep. Uh, uh, they also have a scene where all of the rocks, all of the red rocks are in a line somehow. Yeah, so, yeah, let's get to this. Um that the score is four nothing Yount. We see that after four ends. Yeah. And then uh, Yount says what I think is the only real line that you might possibly hear on a curling rink today, where Gross is calling a shot, and he says that's tough. No one's played that side of the ice yet. Only oh. <laughs> only thing that you might ever hear from this movie on an actual curling sheet. Absolutely. And Lennox flashes it, and then the ones that are in a line taps in repeatedly so there must have been five rocks in a line across the front of the house one like how do you do that how do you put them there this looks like practice yes uh and then he tapped three in yes four in i think it was only three that's good because that would count up to eight right and the other thing too is i'm sorry is cutter just not throwing like did they change the rules here on you don't have to throw alternative like alternately yeah. anymore. Yeah, it's it was really weird, really yeah. weird, really really strange. Uh, I, I also wrote down too after Lennox misses his shot, he uh, he does a little Chris Chili impression as he slams and throws the broom. Oh, that's funny. I wrote it's Scott Scott impression. <laughs> um, so uh, so the big lead now for uh, Yount. Then we see Neil. He's getting inducted into the country club. Sees everybody as corpses and says, "Enough of this! I'm going to curl." Yeah, and uh, we had the uh, the girlfriend come and get him too. Yes. Yeah. So she shows up and says, "Hey, they need you." Uh, she makes like a gasket reference, which is from a, a, a sexual thing from earlier in the yeah in the movie, which is weird. Yeah, and like so, he, she is the one guy's girlfriend, but 
seems to be more into this guy and it seems like they're getting together yeah and uh, lennox doesn't care yeah lennox is fine with it he's like oh cool whatever you do you like yeah, yeah. So it's very strange and, I, and so Busick comes in to to play yeah sean when he was on the team before they were garbage right so like why is he saving the day by being there because leslie nielsen told us that they need the lead rock <laughs> But they were terrible with it. They were them. terrible with it. It makes absolutely no sense. Also, how is he allowed to play? The game's in the fourth or fifth end. This The, the only time this has ever happened is when Craig Savile came on the ice to throw at the briar here, and that's because he had cancer. Like, right, yeah. It's, it's this honorific thing. Like, this doesn't happen. But, but he was listed on the team roster when they signed up for the spiel. Okay, but you can't. Just have somebody show up in the fourth end? Well, it happens at the club level. Yes, it happens at the club level, not in what is being presented as the most prestigious <laughs> event in curling. Yeah, I agree. It's it's really weird. And so they slam their brooms down as a sign of, we're in this now. And then we see, see Neil put his first rock that he throws on the button, and everyone starts to cheer. Bad bad spot for the lead stone. Yes, like like the fact that he can put it on the button when you're losing six to nothing is not a useful skill. Well, maybe they didn't show the guard that he curled around to put it right on the button. I get, yeah, so that is very strange. Uh, the score then goes to six to three. We see Yount flash. It's now six to four. Then Yount flashes again, and somehow it's seven to six for Yount. Yeah, uh, I also wanted to note the announcer who was pounding Tim Horton's coffee before is now got six beers yes. uh, on top of his uh, announcing table and uh, decides now is the perfect time to chug one. Yes. When is he going to drink the rest of those beers? <laughs> uh, yeah, he gets progressively more uh, annoying through the course of this. Yeah. Uh, we also see this fun little scene where Neil's kids are sitting with the man whose wife's having an affair with, and then they just get up and leave, uh, which is great. Well, he's their new dad now. Yeah, I don't know how they get to the curling club, but they show up uh, at the curling club. A small town, you can walk yeah. everywhere. Uh, then we have sort of this montage, a little bit of the last two ends, and I just wrote, get your knees off the ice. Yeah, I wrote, <laughs> stop laying on the ice. Yeah, Lennox is lying down yeah. on the ice. It's his move. Right, and we've established that... The ice isn't very good because you can see the rings where the stones are. Yeah. So you'd think someone would be policing this a little closer. Well, you know. Uh... I mean, the official is pretty proactive. You'd think he would come out. But you're also allowed to sweep with corn brooms at this event. So yeah. uh, who knows? It's the Wild West. <laughs> uh, so Yount is up sick or at, up one, last rock of the game. Cutter is facing six. And he's going to throw the around the horn. That's right. To try to tie the game and go into the at, extra. At the suggestion of their coach. They've called a timeout. Yes. Leslie Nielsen comes out and he says, oh, you do it around the horn. Yeah. Uh, and he said, uh, I saw somebody do it. Uh, Sweden in the world championships. Yeah. And another favorite line of mine. Oh, if a Swede can do it, you <laughs> yeah. can do it. Yeah. It's just that easy. Yeah. Just yeah. ask Nicholas Adin, right? Just that easy. Uh, this is pre-Adin. <laughs> yes. Is, yeah. The, the P.E. era. So he he throws it. Uh, great job backing up the rock on the sweep. Yeah. Really solid job by these guys. Real negative ice out there. Really well done. But Neil burns the stone. He burns it. Uh, the shot is made and uh, comes around. And everyone's sort of looking at it. Leslie Nielsen again comes out, uh, as coaches do. <laughs> says, that was burned. You have to call it. Uh, the guys all come over and... He says, yeah, it was it was burned. 
And then the official comes out again. And the official, who is very corrupt, says, yes. the town needs this, guys. You, uh, you don't tell them. Yeah, okay. Now, why does the town need this? We haven't established that the town is down in its luck at all. It seems like the town was doing fine before these guys played. Like, there's no, there's no real urgency, it seems, for the town to need this. Well, Sean, the they town... They want it. The town has never won the Golden Broom. Yeah, but it's been fine. It's a fine <laughs> little town. They want to win. They don't need to win. Yeah, well, maybe this official's got some money on them or something. He must. He, he must be in this thing with the diner yeah, he, uh, waitress. Yeah, he does seem very corrupt. Uh, so uh, we also see this, the the cop and the diner waitress have made eyes at each other from across the rink and are now sitting together. Mm-hmm. Uh, the official says, okay, and says the Yount that was burned. Yount says, reset it, throw it again. <laughs> what? <laughs> I wrote... Let them shoot again is not an option. <laughs> no, that's not in the rules. That, that's never happened before. No, also, how are you going to reset the rocks? We've established earlier that this TV uh, coverage doesn't have replay. <laughs> so how are you putting the stones back in the same spot? Because it's an around the horn. The angle has to be right. It has to be right. Uh, but you know what? It's not going to matter, Sean, because he's not going to play the same shot again. No. So... Um, so Lennox goes to put the broom down. He's also giving him five feet of ice for an around the horn shot where he has to throw heavy weight. So maybe not the greatest third in the world there. Uh, Cutter puts his ear to the stone, gets up from the hack and goes to talk to Amy. And is the clock not running? Is there no... No time clock. There's at no this time at no. this point. They've just banked enough time that he can go have this very personal conversation. No time clock. Uh, it's and a, nobody on the team. time clocks. Nobody on the team, the broadcasters, <laughs> the fans, nobody really remarks upon this. They're just going about their, their life. Oh, he's having a little convo there. Uh... This, is, this is so weird. He switches. So he gets back in the hack. He switches from uh, an outturn to an intern. But he threw an intern the first time. Yeah. So this isn't really revelatory because Yount is like, what is he doing? But he should be like, okay, he's throwing, throwing the same. This. He should have said, what is he doing when he had the outturn grip? Uh, and Lennox says, making poetry. <laughs> <laughs> he's making poetry, <laughs> a, baby. A great callback to the speech. He whips it down the ice. And in a very Jason Gunlifson thing when he was playing mixed when the women couldn't keep up mm-hmm. the, the older women who he was playing with couldn't keep up with the rocks yeah. uh we see the two guys running after it stone explodes we see donald foley's ashes, ashes rise into the air land on the button and they win because somehow miraculously a second stone has appeared like did lennox take a stone that was out of play as everybody's watching the, <laughs> the ashes in the air, does he put it down? Because when you see the overhead, there is no possible way for a second stone to get there. Yeah, I think uh, the, the thinking would be, oh, when it made contact with the opponent's stone, it sort of nudged one of yours in somehow. But so you're right, it's uh, not there. No, it's, it's not there at all. It's so weird. Uh, and everyone, the, the announcer sort of does a double take and says, it's one... And then the big part of the broken one. And then the ashes of a dead guy. They, they won. Uh, so he starts going crazy. Uh, they win the game. Uh, 
the widow is excited because Donald Foley is on the button, which of course in his will and testament said, put me on the button. button. Uh, And they do that. Uh, Yount is incredibly gracious in this moment. This one major event that he's never won. uh, He stops talking like a evil guy. Uh, Also, how does he get to the other end? That's the thing I wrote down. Like, so he was talking to, uh, talking to Lennox. Lennox. And then all of a sudden he's at the throwing end. Yeah, and he's and behind down. and he's behind Cutter too. Yeah. It's not like he walks up to him. He comes from behind him. Yeah. So it's a really strange moment. So he says nice shot. And he's very nice about it. But he but he does say something weird. Yeah, uh, we'll get to this. <laughs> um, so in this montage we also see the cop and the diner waitress, they start to kiss. Why are they a couple? Why is this a necessary storyline? Uh, Other than to say that Paul Gross is progressive somehow. They needed to pass the Bechtel test. Yeah, apparently. Um, Eddie's wife is pregnant, we learn. Yeah. Uh, she misses the last shot, unfortunately, because uh, she had to go pee. Uh, so we learn that. And then we go back to Yount and says that I've played uh, uh, something a lot of curling all over this planet we call home. <laughs> yeah. He's talking like an alien. Yeah. So is it like they're dressed like this? Are we meant to believe that they're sort of... From space? Yeah. Mm, could be. So it's, uh... it's, it's like, yeah. So I actually wrote, does that explain the uniforms? <laughs> um, so, uh, and then Neil's kids are there and we're not sure how they get to the rink and they're happy for their father. Yeah. Wait till they meet their new mother, apparently. Um, then we have a nice moment with Cutter and Leslie Nielsen. They hug. Everything is forgiven there. A strange moment here. We flash outside where we see everyone cheering and pouring out of the rink mm-hmm. as the big guy from the start comes in. Oh, yeah. But then we get back inside, Scott, and despite the fact that people are pouring out of the Long Bay Curling Club, every seat is full for the trophy presentation. <laughs> Well, they were just going out for a smoke uh, before the, the trophy was going to be presented, Sean. Uh, so the big guy comes in. Uh, somehow his head wound is still fresh. Yeah, it's gross, It hasn't too. healed over whatsoever, uh, despite the fact that this is at least a few days later and there'd be something there, but no. And he's cool with almost being murdered because that's how much he hates the juggernaut. Yeah, and uh, he, he wanted... Uh, Long Bay to yes. win that that uh, curling golden broom. Yes. Uh, now, it seemed to me, Scott, the trophy is like a traditional, normal curling trophy. Really big missed opportunity here to actually have a golden broom. Yeah, a real golden broom. That would have been nice. Yeah. And you don't have to make it. Like, you just take a broom, like an old brownie broom, and spray, spray paint, paint it. it. It's yeah. not hard. Yeah. Uh, real missed opportunity here. Uh, so once all is resolved with the, uh, the big guy, go to the bar, the bagpipe guy is there, of course. Yep. Walking around. Uh, Neil gets together with the, uh, woman who was Lennox's girlfriend. We see the kids with the old guy doing shots of milk. Uh, Amy and Cutter are, are there and, uh, drunk grandma Says, don't worry, leave Brandon with me as she dances with Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. This is clearly child neglect uh, going on here. He's doing shots of milk. He's fine. Got lots of calcium. <laughs> it's so weird. And Neil's kids are still in their pajamas. Like, where's their mother, too? Like, she's I, cheating with that other guy. Like, it's so, or she's still at the country club. It's very strange. 
what's happening here. Uh, Amy and Cutter go outside. He grabs her face and attempts to push her nose into her brain as they start making out. He is like, he is smushing her face. Yeah. This is one of the most aggressive screen kisses I may have ever seen. Well, I mean, who can resist? I guess. So all is good. And then we end the movie, Scott, fade to black. The beavers start walking out of the bar or from the direction of where the bar door was across the street. Across the street. That's right, Sean. But don't don't fret. No beavers were harmed in the filming of this movie. Yes. Uh-huh. We, we promise. Yeah. Uh, which is weird. Like the we promise makes it seem like, like all the beavers did. died. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's really weird. And then we see them uh, after that. They're putting the stones back at the bottom of the lake. Yeah. Because we don't need them anymore. Because no other Bonspiel would accept bringing your own <laughs> no. stones. No. So I guess it's sort of like giving Donald Foley. I guess they swept him up and put him back in one of the rocks. Yeah. Giving him a bit of a, a nice burial there. Yeah. I think the through line of uh, Donald Foley was pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good in this movie. So do you have any final thoughts So, there? Scott, I, I just put, is this a good movie? <laughs> uh, no. The, the answer is no. It's not a good movie. Okay. Is it fun to watch if you like curling? Yeah. I'd say it's sort of fun to watch it once. Yeah. You can see all the plot holes in it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and yeah, it's worth watching once if you like curling. And if you don't like curling, what are you listening to us for? Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I think it's fun. It's, it's sort of a... A movie that just don't, if you really like curling, don't really watch it too closely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the in addition to the curling, the, the love story doesn't really make that much sense to me. Uh, it doesn't really have a chance to breathe this whole thing of like he's making out with Julie twice in the movie and now he's going to date her sister mm-hmm. and everyone's okay with this. Uh, in, including the mother. Well, there's only um, two women in town. In, in Long Bay, yeah. So there's three men, or four men and two women, uh, apparently. Well, two straight um, women, right. and then there's two lesbians. So. Right, and then the married woman. So right. you're really a tough sled here. Yeah, real tough sled. Uh, in Long Bay. So, yeah, I mean, just... It's not the greatest movie and you, in the world. They, they become apparently the best curlers in the world in about a week, yeah. would you say? Yeah, Maybe all you got to do is some sit-ups, run through the mine slide yeah. a few times you don't have to throw just slide just slide and, you're and uh, you can win yeah so there it's just that easy so scott uh what do you think the score of this movie is on rotten tomatoes i looked this up well i believe it says what it was when i started watching the movie but I, i'm gonna say 47 percent. little higher 61 percent oh not bad on rotten tomatoes and a 5.8 out of 10 on imdb so that's what i saw imdb yeah score. so i think that's it right it's sort of an average movie it's not terrible there's things you can laugh at uh, the, the story has its holes and all that but i mean it's not the worst thing in the world but it's not really very good either no so that said everybody go and watch <laughs> Go and watch it, but let us know too if if you really disagree with that assessment, if you love this movie or if you hate this movie, do let us know. So there you have it, our recap of Men with Brooms. So hope you all enjoyed that. We really enjoyed that conversation. Hopefully you did as well. And let us know what we missed in that movie. I'm sure there's a bunch of Easter eggs, little things that we did not notice. So please do reach out. Let us know what we missed in the movie. So that'll do it for this week, and that'll do it for 2021, everybody. We did it. We made it. Uh, 2020 
is over, what will be over tomorrow as I record this and as we release the episode. It's been a slog, I know. It's been a tough year out there, not only in the curling world, but just in general with everything going on uh, related to the pandemic, the economic realities, the, the struggles that a lot of folks are going through, not to mention some of the larger social issues that we have grappled with in 2020. So I want to just say, as we close out the year, thank you to everybody who listens whether it's each week or whether it's one episode here or there, whether this is the first time you're listening to the show, thank you very much. We started this back in 2018, almost three years ago now, during the Olympics in Korea. Actually, it was the Scotties of 2018. That was our first episode. And we started it because we like talking about curling. And we wanted to put something out there that we felt was a little different from the curling content that existed at the time. I still genuinely believe that of all the curling podcasts out there, we all offer something different. I don't think that the shows step on each other's toes that much. You know, what, what we do is different from what two girls in a game do, what Rocks Across the Pond does. I really think that there's space for all of us in this community. It's been really a lot of fun for us to become part of this curling podcasting community and, and all the great people who we've met. And that includes all of you out there who are listening. So thank you very much. I know for Scott and I doing this show each week has been a nice break from the realities of 2020. And hopefully it has served that for you as well. So thank you very much, everybody. Wishing everybody all the best for a much better 2021 both outside and inside the curling arena. So we will be back with you with a brand new episode next week to kick off 2021. But until then, please do subscribe to the show wherever it is you get your podcast, do the likes, ratings, comments, all that fun stuff keeps the show going, helps us grow. And if you want to let us know what you want to hear on the show, please do reach out game of stones podcast at gmail.com or you can find us at Game of Stones Pod at Twitter and Instagram. So, Happy New Year. Celebrate safely. We'll be with you in 2021. But until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final...